Hey, I want to tell you about the SeatGeek app. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets, and it's 100% free service. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping really easy. It's basically like Kayak.com for concerts, festivals, and sporting events. When you're ready to buy your tickets, you can snag a great deal right from your phone. You can just do two taps on your app. There's really no better way to find great tickets this summer. SeatGeek also has a technology called Deal Score that calculates what every ticket in the building is worth and whether the price you may pay for that ticket is a good deal or a bad deal. No other ticketing app has features like this. This week only, use promo code HOLLYWOOD in the SeatGeek app and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It'll take less than a minute to download. To redeem your promo code and save $20 on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app and enter the promo code HOLLYWOOD in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code HOLLYWOOD today. The SeatGeek app is your ticket to summer sports and concerts. And now... Hollywood Prospectus. Hello and welcome to the Hollywood Prospectus podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for Grantland.com. And on the other line, it's a beautiful day to save lives. It's Andy Greenwald. Are you the mayor to my dare? Oh, man. Or am I the Denny to your Izzy? Oh, there's so many ways to look at this. I assume you weren't kidding when you said we're doing an all Shondaland pod today. Just straight graze fire. Andy, today we are going to be just covering the usual topics, Game of Thrones, Mad Men. But then at the end of this podcast, you and I are going to dip into a pool we often do not cannonball into. A pool of tears. A pool of tears. Over yeah. at Seattle Grace Hospital, we're going to be talking about, spoiler alert, Patrick Dempsey's exit uh, from Grey's Anatomy. Sometimes um, a guy just wants to drive race cars, you know. Yeah, he's just like, what? Do you, what you don't you want to tour the the Central Africa in a Le Mans race car? Yes. Next question. <laughs> okay. Next question. Game of Thrones was dope. Y or N? Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> that was a great episode. Fantastic. The show's good this year. I yeah. mean, it's always good, but I feel like these episodes have been better. And I mean, I, I was excited to to get that text from you because you know it's nice to hear from you on a on a weekend, but. Yeah. But also, I mean, I, I felt, and this is what I wrote in the recap, that Game of Thrones for four seasons, no matter what the episode was, it always ended with a heat rock, right? Like, it always ended in a big, dramatic way, whether it was someone dying or someone falling out of a moon door, which, mm-hmm. by the spoiler alert, leads to dying. Yeah. There was always something. And it made me think that one of the ways that <laughs> I would have liked Weiss- to have seen, like, a, a, a tracking shot of her falling out of the moon door. Do you think she did, like, the Michael Jordan, like... No, I'm going to say no. But I also feel like, what if it was like previously on, on Game of Thrones, and you see her going out of the moon door, and then it says this week on Game of Thrones, and, and she's, she's still, still falling. falling, just falling. Woo. And then every time it would like cut to Jon Snow and cut back, and she's still going. If it, like, um, Lars von Trier had directed an episode of Game of Thrones, it would have just been a 45 minute shot yes. of her you, falling. You have to find the honesty in every moment, right? Exactly. And that's what it is. Um, no, but I feel like one of the ways, and, and Benioff and Weiss don't talk about this stuff, like their process, but I felt like one of the ways that they chipped at this giant story beast was that, that I, I feel like when they were like, okay, season three, here are the ten mini moments that we're going to build to in each episode. That's yeah. how they, I feel like that's how they began to chip at it and made, make sort of narrative sense. The real giveaway for me in this episode, which was called High Sparrow, Moon which door. I believe... No, okay. <laughs> High Sparrow, I believe that's your favorite album by The National. Uh, this episode had the dopest beginning, I think, of any episode of Game of Thrones ever. Yes. And I feel like the fact that they are now able to just luxuriate at their own pace and have time to do things like, let's really set a scene here. Mm-hmm. Let's not just dive back into the, the plot until we get to the end. I think that's a really big, a big thing. 
So in your piece that went up today or went up last night, uh, your recap of the episode, you mentioned about how you had talked to Benny Offenweiss a couple of years ago and that when you brought up the idea that each episode had a sort of thematic underpinning to it, they sort of scoffed at that because they were like, it's hard enough to, you know, get the donuts made in the morning that we can't really worry about, you know, that there was that that was a problem. So they were also super hungover. Right. You can see that on YouTube. But. One thing that was really interesting to me about this episode was the thematic consistency that ran through yes. it. And also, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be, like, falsely condescending here or anything, but the intellectual rigor of the conversations that were happening, especially the one between Cersei and, um, and Jonathan Price's character. High Sparrow. Yeah, yeah, High Sparrow. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so when I – yeah, when I brought that up to them, I mean – this is sort of the thing. Like, I, I have always been – I'm a big advocate of the individual episode as a worthy statement in and of itself. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of never – I think I think The Wire probably is the greatest TV show ever, but I was never really into the way David Simon absolutely was like, each episode is just a chapter in the book, and you cannot judge an episode without judging And each episode had, like, insane symmetry where it was, like, an opening thesis yeah. statement with a conclusion that called back to it. It was – after but, a while, it actually became almost pr- pretty pretty transparent that they were doing that. But you also can't, with The Wire, you can't pull out... There are very few episodes you can pull out and be like, oh, that was great. Right. You know, in the same way we've talked about... I don't know. I'm thinking of it because we're talking about David Simon, and we talked about it when Robin Williams passed away. But Bop Gun, the episode of Mm -hmm. Homicide, that was a cop procedural storylines went, you know, it was serialized. But you pull an episode out, and that was just an exceptional piece of writing and acting and directing on its own. Yeah. And I was kind of... You know, Game of Thrones has always been its own beast, but, like, I was kind of trying to tease out the idea, like, could there be one killer bottle episode of the show? Could there be? Yeah. And Blackwater kind of was that. Um, the battle episodes, they sometimes go in that direction. But, yeah, they were basically like, we, 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 don't, even, we don't even see your question. Yeah, they've got they, like they four were like, sets going. They've got so they, many they, different they, speaking roles. Making so this show yeah. is a full year-round job. I mean, we're just beginning season five, but going by the timetable I know they keep to, I'm sure they are done writing season six right and they're in pre-production because it starts filming in june i mean they are way ahead and it's a constant thing they don't have the luxury to do that sort of stuff and yet now suddenly it appears that they are now whether they're more comfortable in the the ridiculous working conditions that they've agreed to do or they are now because they're moving in their own direction whether you know in big steps or little steps and that's something maybe we'll talk about again with the maester on wednesday they now are able to take to indulge themselves and and build that sort of um that's sort of uh, a linked thematic story. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about that major theme that sort of ran throughout the episode, which is yeah. this idea of true religion, right? Um, okay. What, what yeah. is true religion? And we've talked about this a little bit on Watch of Thrones. I chatted with Mallory a little bit about how faith was going to be a major <laughs> a major part of this season. Um, the thing that was really interesting to me about that conversation between Cersei and the High Sparrow was this idea that – I mean – I, I really, and I mean this apolitically, but it did remind me almost of the idea of the right wing tacking towards, uh, of like a religious backing to their their sort of ideology, and yeah. that she was sort of saying, if I'm losing power, like you mentioned this in your recap, if I'm losing power politically, I'm going to try and uh, I'm just going to try and wrestle it from elsewhere wherever I can. Yeah, I mean, she says point blank that the two things that sustain the realm are the crown and religion. Mm-hmm. And if she can't have one, I think it's a very smart pivot to the other. Um, It's interesting to see how this develops because obviously the people who are sparrows, like Lancel, Mm -hmm. like your man Lancel, the people who have given up their shoes because, you know, like, because, I don't know, I I would not want to walk barefoot in that city. I got to say that. (laughs) Um, 
the they are devout. They clearly are believing in something, but they are also like many smaller fundamentalist groups, they are very aware of the power of perception and making a big splash. And so going there are many ways to reform a church from the outside, publicly shaming the basically the pope is yeah. a bold play. That is a publicity seeking play. Mm-hmm. And so what was interesting about that conversation was that Jonathan Price seemed quite his character seems quite you know, obviously humble. He is Mother Teresa-ing it up in the in the dirtiest parts of King's Landing. By the way, we know it's a dirty part because the sound effects guys were like, fly buzzing, yeah. fly buzzing. Like, that's how you know it's poor or smells bad. Yeah. It's a great SFX shot. Um, anyway, he seems to be doing what he's doing from a genuine desire to help people, but he is also not aware of the optics. Yeah. Not unaware of the optics, which is an interesting pivot going forward. Uh, one of the other s- sort of... There was a lot of issues of betrothal and pledges and oaths and sticking to certain ideas that sticking to certain promises that you had made um and breaking those promises obviously one of my favorite scenes was actually a pretty minor one but it was the one between peter baelish and Bruce bolton up on the balcony there uh overlooking uh what might become of this kingdom if they kind of can stick together and these are two very untrustworthy men who are sort of asking one another to to, asking each other to trust them yeah the, I mean, there's also the fact that, that, that Cersei was DMing with Littlefinger, right? <laughs> I know, sliding it up in your DMs with a raven. I mean, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but I, I assume that she doesn't know – I mean, I assume she's one of his pawns at this point as yeah. well because he was the one who killed her son. I mean, let's not lose sight of that fact. So – she probably doesn't know exactly where he is or what he's doing. There's um, a little bit. I mean, I wonder whether or not book readers feel this way, and I, I don't actually wonder this, but I, I do wonder. <laughs> they will let you know. I um, speak from whether or experience. not, like Baelish is somebody who has seems to have like a 36 point plan for success. Yeah, and I wonder how much of it is improvised or how much of it is. I've ha- he's had it since the beginning of of, of this story. Well, one line that I really like that he says, I think he says to Roose Bolden, is that every every maneuver, every play is a gamble. Yes. And basically, that reflects on his speech. Or ambition to... takes gambling or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Every move is – there's always been a risk, basically, saying with every move he's taken, both li- whether they're little or small. Yeah. And that reflects on the speech he gave to Sansa where he was basically like – by the way, one of the most amazing concern trolls I've ever seen when he was just like, oh, you've had it so bad. Yeah. But, Stop being uh, based under the tragedy. <laughs> yeah, he did his voice again. He did his close-talking voice. But he, <laughs> yeah, yeah, why did he have to be that close to her face? <laughs> like, That's she... just his acting style. I mean <laughs> – do you think that at this point Sophie Turner is just like goes to craft services and is like, please, just like allium neutral meals? But do you also think that man. like when she's online at craft services, like Carsetti shows up right next to us like, oh, you should have the tuna salad. It's delicious this week. First of all, I love the way you make it sound like a homicidal leprechaun. But really, that's kind of what a guy named Littlefinger is. Yeah. Um, she, he says that she's been a bystander to tragedy. And basically the, the, the argument he makes to her is – you got to have some skin in the game. Yeah. Now, the skin in the game is your skin, and it might be flayed by yet another sadistic pipsqueak. But there's this assumption that you can be a bystander to the Game of Thrones or to tragedy or whatever, but then you kind of can't complain when it goes in a direction well, you and don't the, want. Well, and then the cool thing is that this is the question being posed to all the Starks, the living Starks, is yes. do you want to sit on the sidelines and watch your name turn into dust or do you want to reclaim what's yours by any means necessary whether that means marrying ramsey going through this sort of radical identity change for Arya, or for john maybe actually giving up this like virgin quest on the on the night's watch and getting back on the field but what's interesting is that it really for all of them seems to be about giving up their name um Arya, you know is becoming no one 
Uh, mm-hmm. Jacken is very clear that she cannot be Arya Stark anymore or have her clothes or her money or anything about her. Um, Jon Snow has a chance to become Jon Stark and, turns and says, hard pass. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I have not to do sure. super cool stuff as Lord High Commander, like chop I'm this guy's s- heads off. Just, just, just totally. Because he wouldn't go out to guy. the New Brunswick of the, of the, of the wall. <laughs> First of all, if someone who lives there is like, I'm not going there, <laughs> yeah. how bad is it? Also, it's like, hasn't the horse left the, the White Walker barn here? Can't you just be like, ah, let's just shut down that one. You guys can stay. Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, to be fair, jokes aside, I feel like he was sort of establishing his yes, bona fides he, as a was, leader there. It was also and, like, you, somebody has to do the job that nobody wants to do, like dig a latrine or go run well, this fort. But also, he was showing potentially what Stannis with his manly nod, by the way. If I ever get a nod like that in life, yeah. I know I've done all right. That I'm was, glad that I've was, impressed this guy. Yeah. That was Pat Morita at the end of Karate Kid level <laughs> nodding, which I really appreciated. Um, basically, he was like, well, Alistair Thorne has been a total uh, total jackass to me nonstop. Yeah. But he is a worthy fighter. People respect that. And so I cannot – If I, I, it actually makes me look strong. Yeah, what's that keep line? Keep important. your enemies close and whoever said that didn't have any enemies? Right. But so what he did was he sort of split the difference, right? right? So Janice Slint is both an enemy and totally useless and a coward. So he made and an is, example has of no him. longer has a head. Unfortunately for him, <laughs> he has been reduced significantly, yeah. right? He's been made redundant. Um, but, uh, but what I don't know is what that means about Sansa because you could look at it two ways. You could say that she is, by marrying someone else, she's taking on someone else's name and getting back in the game. But on the other hand, she, th- what she seems to be still interested in doing is reclaiming the very thing that her father lost when he lost his head. So maybe that's a mistake. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but scullery maids still remember. I mean, scullery maids be whispering. They're like, the North remembers. <laughs> yes. And she's like, can you just change my chamber pot? Have you had the tuna story? salad? <laughs> Uh, let's keep it moving, but I did have one question for you. This episode was really well written. I thought the dialogue was exceptional, and it yeah. flowed really well. Did you notice that there was no Danny, and do you think that that made a difference? Yes, I was thrilled. I think it was really good that there was no 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 Danny in this episode. I yeah. mean, to be honest, I was kind of into it last week too. Last week, um, last week's episode, House of Black and White. There was the shot of Arya being allowed in, mm-hmm. and the door closed, and it was this beautifully framed, like, very Breaking Bad-esque shot. Yeah. It just had the perfect frame and the black and white door, and I was like, run credits. And then we went to Marine to right. do the whole thing with the, the Sons of the Harpy yeah. and the Slave. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, thought it, I thought it was good because that was getting a little draggy. I also think it was good because the main theme of this episode, to me, in a lot of ways, was the limit, the limited options of women in this world. Mm-hmm. And I think that Daenerys, whether it's because she's a Targaryen or more likely because she has three giant dragons, is sort of exempt from this conversation. So keeping her out of it was another. It, it, it's a it's a callback to what you were saying about thematic unity. Because sure. Yeah. The they had Brienne. Of, they had Arya. They Brienne, had Sansa, Cersei and, and Cersei, yeah. and your options. Um, I think we have to talk about. Just the epic you could survive in the Sahara levels of shade in the Real Housewives of King's Landing. That was delicious. That was <laughs> so good. And it was just it just kept going. And that was the example. I mean, the show rarely gives us what we want in such heaping portions. I'm surprised that Cersei didn't grab one of those. Because I thought that the handmaidens that were sitting with Marjorie were a lot like red shirts in Star Trek. And for a second, I was like, yeah. Cersei's about to go Mola Ram on, on us and just grab yeah. rip one of somebody's heart out while it's still beating and be like, don't joke about me. <laughs> like, <laughs> Drop the heart? Yeah. Um, but she didn't. I mean, she, she was chastened. Very... Yeah. I, although, she... obviously, immediately went to a, uh, like, it went to Jonathan Price and is starting to seed the idea, probably, that 
Marjorie is somehow corrupting the nation. Yes, but she took one on the chin. I mean, that was a rough scene for her. Yeah, a strategic uh, uh, retreat for her, from her. Can we talk about Marjorie's behavior? I mean, Marjorie... She's flagrant. Marjorie was flagrant in this episode. Yeah. That li- I mean, one of the all-time great Game of Thrones lines is, I- I'm sorry I have no wine to offer you. It's a little early in the day for us. Yeah, right. I mean, that is magnificent. I'm sure I mean, Susie like, was like, don't worry, I've like had three bottles of Santa Margarita already. Just to get, that was just to get a base coat down. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. You can't stain anything before you have that nice, rich umber underneath. Uh, last comment. I mean, I guess it's probably wise... To have an understated wedding in Westeros yeah. at this point. Yeah. A nice, but like, just def- sort of a civil ceremony. They definitely yada yada it. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I get why they did it, and I, I, I almost appreciate it. I forgot that it was happening. I was like, what's going on? Why, why is yeah, she in a box? What? Oh, big wedding. Well, they, they were definitely, definitely like, let's just keep it, let's just keep it low pro. Yeah. Like, let's just, you know, we'll, we'll cancel the caterers, we'll cancel the band. It's really because it's about love. At that point, yeah, you know what I, I mean? think it's, it's, it, it, Tommen is going to have a steep learning curve, both sexually with Marjorie, but also in uh, being passive aggressive with his mother. He needs to learn a little bit more about that. Where he's just like, "Wouldn't you be more happy in Castle Rock? Huh? Yeah. Am, I, am I right? Like, he he definitely jumped a few steps ahead. Yeah, like, there's a way to play that. Yeah, he wasn't he mm-hmm. like more or less like intellectually capable of playing with cats as of six months ago, and now he's like the chess master. Here's the other thing, and I, I'm curious about this going forward. I get I get on some level why it's sort of intentional and the way it plays into the drama and it sort of elevates Cersei and Marjorie in this chess game. Yeah. But Tommen is kind of a black hole. Like, he's not that yeah. interesting a character. He's considered weak by everyone and has done nothing to make us think otherwise. Again, I get what that... I get the, the way that serves the story, but it, on TV... I get the way that serves the story as a story. But on a TV show, he still has to be there. Yeah. And it's kind of a drag because he is... I mean, what is he? I he's, leave you with one question. Yeah. Have you tried the grapefruit and crab salad? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just turning into a pirate. Let's I go. Love it. Let's go on to Mad Men. Um, you said it best on Twitter. It's crazy how thank you uh, Matthew Weiner can do the Dirk Nowitzki one footed. You did not say this on Twitter, but I'm paraphrasing. Nope. The Dirk Nowitzki one footed uh, falling back jumper and still I like, just just switch I like it. it. Even when you are incorrectly paraphrasing my tweets, you switch them from baseball to basketball. Did you say? Like, yeah. Okay. I said he could reach back and like throw a you know, oh, pantheon right. level. Baseball. That's like a that's like a fast. Remember baseball? Not really. <laughs> Ask Mallory about it. Anyway, uh, yeah. So this episode, time in life, all timer. Yep. Put just put it just put it in Cooperstown. Yeah. That's baseball too, by the way. I'm and sorry, also put it in put it in, uh, in Springfield. If, if we talked last week uh, or a couple weeks ago with Bill about like the idea of. Or is it? Is there any lingering disappointment with the way these last few episodes are being handled? And if this is the um, if this is the beginning of the final arc, the last few episodes, yes. And if what is sort of coming about with these people is is actually happening, which is what happens to many people when they enter a certain stage of adulthood and they kind of feel themselves evaporate, like that's yep. maybe the most poetic and truthful thing the show can do. I lo- I've loved this half season totally, even the episodes that didn't yeah. come, go over that well, and for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, I, I think that the show really rejects it, – it really rejects – it, it does not reject episode-by-episode episode consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that every episode may, – maybe more so than a lot of other shows, every episode is its own contained universe. There was that really awesome experimental season. I think it was – was it six? 
uh, five um, is the one that had the episode Faraway Places, where each episode felt like it was being done in the style of a different like '60s filmmaker. Yeah, right. Like it was more formally invented. It was more interesting in the formal invention than it was maybe in like a overarching narrative. Week to week, yeah. exactly right. Um, but yet, I think the show really rejects being judged as a project week to week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can go up, up or down on each episode, but I. I, I don't understand – I just cannot – maybe this is a straw man thing. I cannot understand anyone who ever found something to like in the show saying that they're out on it at this point. Yeah, I mean because- I, there's parts like what – I was watching last night and I was like, oh, there, there's a scene – You know, when, when Pete tells Peggy about the move to McCann and she comes yeah. into the office. And the only thing – the only note wrong with that that scene was the actual music is a little bit – cheesy soap opery, which is itself probably a choice that I'm just not yes. making the connections on. But – these small interstitial connective tissue scenes are better than most television shows' greatest ever moment. I agree, and I, I you know think- I mean like the the amount of human honesty communicated and 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 real like just real regret and and sadness and and what could have been and joy too and just like that idea that Peggy and Pete have this conversation that's not about Peggy's kid but Peggy is thinking about this well, kid Pe- Peggy and Pete's kid yeah of course i'm saying like it, but it's like it's not it's not always obvious it's it's always yeah. like just like life you wouldn't have the perfect conversation with that person but you would have a conversation that might trigger some breakdown you have later and every conversation and interaction you have carries the weight of history. Yeah. And I feel like – I thought – and I think we talked about this last year when there was that wonderful Sally episode. I think it was the second episode last year. The I Love You episode, this is, right? This is – yes. This is why – Is that Valentine's you, Day? Um, was it? I just remember – I don't remember the specifics of it, but I remember that that was the interaction and ended with Sally saying, I love you. And I remember I wrote this and we talked about it. That's why you invest time in these mm-hmm. shows for that sort of – the, the depth of the payoff. And I think we're going to talk about this in another context a little bit later, but there is a big push in TV for a number of reasons towards limited series because people are very much into resolution. They're very much into, certainly from a business perspective, the talent that you can secure if you're, you know, you're only guaranteeing a certain number, a certain time commitment. Yeah. Mad Men is the best argument for an unlimited series. I can, I can remember. It's certainly the one that we have at the moment because if you think about Peggy's scene with Stan, which was just incredible when mm-hmm. they were been at work too late and they have all this extra pressure and they're talking about children and, and, and all of a sudden her past comes spilling out. And Elizabeth Moss is just next-level revelatory in this scene. And Jay Ferguson, who plays Stan, is just does not get enough credit either. He's yeah. terrific, and they clearly have good chemistry working together. But what I was going to say is that any kind of show could lead you to a scene like that where a character finally it spills out something that happened in the past. What no other show could do was have the coda to that interaction be the next day, them being on the phone, talking about something else entirely, and once again, that line, just stay on the phone with me. That conversation reminded me of, I mean, this is sort of dating myself, but uh, do you remember back in like seventh or eighth grade when you first started using the phone socially and you would call a girl kind of platonically because you didn't quite understand like your romantic intentions anyway in life and you would just be on the phone for like all night all night and just talk about nothing and then you would sort of maybe just be on the phone while you did other stuff that that scene had that kind of quality to it and it's amazing because it was so compact but you could just feel these are two lonely people who are, are reaching out to one another and they had another scene like that a year or two ago where they were just on the phone with each other while they were doing something. They were doing their own things in yeah. their offices. And so it was a callback to that, but it was also a callback to a deeper, lived-in 
human connection that has existed over the length of the TV show. And it, and it echoes in many ways the connection that we have with these fictional people yeah. because we just sit there while they go about their business and their day. Um, I wanted to point to out that- – can I, can I actually add it on to what you're saying here because the, yeah. the sort of thread that affected me most in uh, last night's episode was Joan. Um, and yeah, this idea that – so Joan doesn't have very many flashy scenes in the episode, but the scene with the unlikeliest of partners in Pete in the backseat of that cab where she, he's like, well, they gave you ortho and you know you should be happy. And she's just like all the sort of equity that I had with Sterling Cooper Draper – is going to be gone now because I'm just going to yeah. be another person. And obviously she's, th- you know, Molly pointed this out. She must be thinking back to the Topaz meeting where those guys were so obnoxious to her. Yeah. But the reason why it was even more poignant was because this is someone who has ostensibly over the course of the last five or six years or whatever dated uh, or sort of dated Roger, who is like this silver fox, you know, She's dated uh, the guy, the the army doctor who is look looked like Prince Charming, her and, husband. Yeah, and she had Bob, who all these guys had something wrong with them. They weren't well, she didn't available. Date Bob, but but yeah, but they, she was been partnered with them. And she, she was in an intimate relationship. Yeah, and them. they've all in one way or another asked for her to be with them. You know, and and now it's this guy played by Bruce Greenwood, and with each one of them, there's something. R- they they see something wrong with her. You know, her husband didn't want her to work. Bob wants to take her away but doesn't want to give her the love that she's looking for yeah. in the world. The guy, Bruce Greenwood wants to give her that love but also doesn't appreciate what she – the family she has or the work life she's developed or, or whatever. Although I don't know if that's the case. I feel like I feel like he's he's pretty much Prince Charming. So, sure, you know, and I think that behavior. that probably will be – but there's something bittersweet about Joan ultimately winding up being with this guy and losing all of this – like this remarkable – progress that she made in her right. professional life. You know? Well, that's why also this, the fact that Peggy had that intimacy with Stan, like it's like the scene that ended in the Burger Chef with these work colleagues, work proximity associates, yeah. like underneath the lights. But it was a real connection. And, you know, you, I think that the default setting is to think, well, who's Peggy going to marry? Mm-hmm. Who's she going to be happy with? I mean, and that, and that ties into like, we're going to talk about Grey's Anatomy. Like that's sort of the story, the way the story works on other shows. We see that she succeeded professionally. We know that she sacrificed a lot, but we, she also has this ability to connect with people still, and that is optimism enough. But you counterbalance that with the scene with Pete and Joan was really important, I think, not only for the reasons you're saying, that everything she's built up is just going to be swept away. But Pete says, I need you, why aren't you cheering us up? Yeah. And there's this, on the, some level, even though she is a partner, even though she is their equal in business and in everything else, in some ways they're, they're better, they still think of her to be that feminine, feminine mothering presence. You know, when, when Roger gets the phone call in the beginning, obviously they have a shared history, and I don't think she was sublimating herself in any way, but she put her arms around him. Yeah. And in that moment, she's like, that's not I, – I can have a voice here too. I'm thinking about my, my future. There's something so heartbreaking about the theme of this episode or the season almost being no matter what you do in life and no matter how you defy life with alcoholism and philandering and – or creative genius or any of these things or, or forging these incredible relationships you have with people that the world eventually swallows you up. You know what I mean? And that, that yeah. McCann, the, 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 this great McCann Erickson will eventually just take away your identity basically. You know what I mean? And, and, and that your dream and that's Ted Shaw almost looks like a, a cult member or like, or somebody who's had electroshock therapy the way he's just, like, yeah. I just, I just want to be relieved of being, 
yeah. responsible for my own happiness, almost. He doesn't want to drive the car anymore. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Rahm was really good in this episode. Yeah, he's in, been in great all season. Sl- it's very it's a very way. hard part to just be like, I'm just happy. You know, like, that's that's a difficult role to play. And, and he reconnected with a love, and it was just like, maybe it didn't work last time. And, and that was particularly galling to Don Draper, because he's always trying to reboot, restart, reconnect, yes. try to find that. Well, Ted's um, always been the Don Draper without the, sh- the defect inside, you know? Kind of. Yeah. The other thing about it, I mean, and you were, we were talking about you're always going to be subsumed. I mean, the Roger speech when they're drunk at PJ Clark's and he's like, there are no more Sterlings. Yeah. It's not just wiping it off of the yeah. of the yeah. masthead, but there are no more Sterlings. Although there's Kevin, but Kevin's not going to grow up. Well, as this is, and Sterling. this is maybe, you know, the, we've always talked about the, um, the falling out of the window as like this ominous foreshadowing image in the show. What if the real image is these footprints going off into the ocean? Not even that. Like... It, it's such a it's such a binary reductive way to think that sure. the show would end with someone yeah. jumping out of the building because what's what's more likely and what's worse there's no more building to jump out of yeah. they've lost their lease like that setup at least if there's someone's jumping out of the building there's something something wild has happened to push someone to do that this is now they've just lost the building and the thing that was just truly amazing to me about this episode was in in the spirit of like great finales this mm-hmm. is what great final seasons do it was all lined up for one last job. You know, it was it was yes. it was a heist movie once again. You know, it was it was sit down, have a seat. It was um, what was the name of uh, what was the name of the episode that ended uh, last mini season, the last mini season. But I, I'm I'm blanking on it. But the point being, two or three times through the you know they've rolled he up says their it. sleeves. He's like we've done it before. Yeah. We've done it before. Yeah. And, but it was such a beautiful way for it to fail. A and lot it makes of the you times, think that maybe it was considered that the fact that it worked so well last season that it, it failed this time. And to see Don almost make peace with it, and then the last really impotent thing he says as the people whose lives are actually being uprooted. This is a new beginning, he, yeah. This is a beginning, not an ending. And to have a main character of a show with three episodes left say that? Oh, my right. God. And and to have everybody just basically be like yada yada and walk away from him, yeah. yeah like we have to look out for our lives now. Of course, yeah. Um, Mer- there, there's and- a madman about Meredith. There's a madman about Don. There's a madman about came Harry back. Crane. Yeah. There's but there, those people have their own lives that aren't related to his creative and, ambition and his search for truth in the and, world. And I'm really curious going forward about what we're going to see or what we're not going to see with Peggy because I was feeling like the one thing and I, and I think I might write about this at some point, but the one thing that this season has definitively showed us is that the people who are like, oh, no, you don't understand Peggy is the main character of the show. It's just been in secret, and she's just been coming on strong. That's not the case. Don Draper is the main character yeah. of the show. And I was a little concerned that she wouldn't get her due in some ways in these last few episodes because of the focus on Don and his, and his, and his um, cyclical, you know, his binging and purging emotionally. But what I'm starting to see come out is that he is out of time and he wants to go back and he wants to fix it and that that is the tragedy and in a way her story is still just beginning mm-hmm. the headhunter is basically like you're going to do amazing you're great like that that was the most stress-free yeah. professional meeting i've ever seen on the show or maybe on tv right where he's like i'm not even going to finish this rc cola you've poured me in your sweltering apartment <laughs> in the ghetto of the upper west side <laughs> but you could do whatever you want and you're going to be fine and everyone keeps saying that and when sterling says to don what does he say like you're okay mm-hmm it's it's very sweet, but it's also very little. It's very and melancholy. I feel like, and you say that to uh, you say that to Peggy. I think it means something else, but we'll see. Uh, I was a little bit worried about. There was a couple of Roger lines that felt a little like famous last words. So oh no, yeah. But I think that Mad Men has earned have has earned its place as not having any to have not not have anyone die. 
No, and, and the person who did die, um, Lane Price, Jared Harris, actually, the actor, directed this episode. No way. A nice bit of symmetry. I didn't yeah. even notice that. Yeah, he did a good job. Oh, wow. Um, Speaking of dying. Meant, <laughs> but I just want to say, like, that meant something. That yes. was the one major, I mean, Miss Blankenship and, 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 uh, and Burt Cooper. Mm-hmm. But the Lane Price death was the one, like, that was the big arc and that was a yeah. death. And, and they're still reeling from it. And that was that. I think that's not, we're not going to see more of it. Yeah. But so, speaking of death. Andy has often blamed me for getting him back into comic books around the year 2000 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so, like, I was on vacation somewhere as, like, a college kid or something, and... No, it, no, you were with your parents. You weren't in a college kid. We were out of college. We were nominal adults. <laughs> and I was on vacation And, and I was my in parents. New York, and you were just, like, hanging out with your parents somewhere in, Vermont. in the countryside. And I called Andy, and I was like... Because we used to call each other. Yeah. And I was like, did you ever... I was like, just stay on the phone with me for hours. <laughs> yeah, like, let's fall asleep listening to each no, other breathe. I was like, uh, yeah. do you know anything about this guy, Cable? <laughs> and it, that started 15 years of Andy buying comic books, whereas two months later, I was like, nah, I'm not so into this. I'm into something else now. Now I'm into soccer. He did like, get his revenge, though. Where, yeah, I, like in 2003, yeah. I think... No, I don't think it was on yet then, but like maybe, oh, maybe five, it was. six. He it, it was it was the first season. Yeah, I got an email or or a, or an SMS message on a flip phone. I, I I I faxed you. Yeah, that said, you know what's a pretty good show? Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, and that led to Look, me watching the first four or five seasons. I think I, I'll say this: you know who thought Grey's Anatomy was a pretty good show? My wife. Yes, uh, and, and so I watched it with her. A lot. Yeah, it was that lot. said, it was good. You know, yeah. it, it legitimately was good. And what it was doing was really, I mean, obviously, you could see the success that, that the show has had, that Shonda Rhimes has had. It was completely new for TV, but mm-hmm. it felt like something that the TV had been looking for for a long time. And that idea of, you know, surgeons operating on their own broken hearts and, like, the intensity of it. Dr. But it also heal, really, heal, heal thyself. But it also had a really good sense of humor and sense of humanity and good performances. And it was riveting, especially it had in those that, first few years. Um the best sort of night soaps have that kind of humor with romantic hijinks with sort of melodrama that that can catch fire like the OC but, like yes. Gossip Girl like Grey's you know if you put people in a certain kind of situation and you cross you cross them up with each other in terms of romantic relationships fireworks can happen but but also one thing that the show did really well um always you know if we talk about if we praise an episode of game of thrones like blackwater Mm -hmm. where it's just like mass slaughter on a cinematic scale yeah and we're like man they did that well gray's does that emotionally well they also do it with mass slaughter (laughs) and they do it all the time with mass slaughter shout out to monica kino with a light post in her stomach attaching her to another person (laughs) shout out to the little specks of coach taylor they are still scraping out of the tile grout in seattle hospital i mean this show has a body count that is unprecedented i didn't even know that in season nine half the cast gets killed in a plane crash i mean you should know not to get on a plane i mean here's the thing you know what you should know don't work there anymore. Yeah, and so, seriously. I mean, this is what I was saying. Like, if you are Meredith Grey yeah. and you're just like, well, everyone in my life that matters has been brutally killed. Yeah. Everyone. And then it's just like, well, yeah, I guess I got a case of the Mondays. Time to punch in again. And my feeling is the brilliant troll move and potentially successful move would be another network just being like, we're going to start a show called Seattle General. 
Yeah. And it's just a show about doctors doing their job in the break room being like, oh, you hear about what happened over at Seattle Grace again? Yikes. So, I, you know, Grace obviously has a history of killing off characters, but the one person or the two people that I don't think – there's a couple of characters that I think are pretty central to the show – but the two people that I think everybody assumed were going to be on it for the majority of the run, and if they didn't make it to the majority of the run, would only be because they moved on to Seattle General, where they lived normal, boring lives with their kids. Right. You, you, were, you were expecting a George Clooney, like a, a Doug Ross, Carol yeah. Hathaway kind Just, of thing. And didn't George Clooney go to Seattle in ER? I mean, it was the 90s. Everyone went to Seattle. But Dr. Derek Shepard husband boyfriend and husband of meredith gray you use his nickname on this podcast and nothing else <laughs> mcdreamy yeah. uh he was one who seemed like he was in it for the long haul not the case only in, no. only if you're talking about getting hit by a long haul truck which is what happened yeah. to him on last week's episode and he died yeah. he's dead he's dead now <laughs> uh i was ra- i mean like so this is what was cool or interesting uh, I, nothing was, about no, me watching cool. Grey's Anatomy is cool, but this is interesting. Yeah. So last week, someone tweeted out or Instagrammed out a picture of an Entertainment Weekly that had arrived at their yeah. house a few days early that had the like basically the Patrick Dempsey exit interview, and they were like, "Damn you, EW, for spoiling this!" and then posted it to the internet, and yeah. then it quickly caught like wildfire, and it was pretty I, well known by that time that the episode aired on Thursday that he was I, that was his last episode. I think the main takeaway from this is print journalism is the worst. I mean, I think there's no there's no other takeaway from this, right? They yeah. screwed up. Yeah. I mean, yes, people like to spoil stuff. I mean, so here's the thing. I watched this episode. You, you did not, right? Let's do macro. Let's do macro, and then we'll get specifically okay. into the episode. Yeah. Patrick Dempsey has been on the show for a long time. Yes. Now, I don't want to, like, I don't want to demystify <laughs> the process too much, but it is hard work to be not hard work like mining or like driving a long-haul truck that murders doctors that's hard work but doing an hour-long drama can be hard Mm -hmm. and demanding or at the very least if it's not hard it's repetitive if you're doing it for 11 years playing the same part and you're an actor and like you want to try new things like that that can definitely wear on somebody now that said patrick dempsey was not in the best place professionally when the show came back it gave him a crazy second act that no one thought he was going to get sure it's funded his race car dreams, and I really recommend Googling Patrick Dempsey race car driver for some just devastatingly <laughs> handsome shots. DempseyDriving.com. He, he also signed a two-year contract extension mm-hmm. just last year. So this is the end of the first year. I don't think it's speaking out of school to say that Page Six and other reputable gossip sources have suggested that maybe he didn't really like being on the show anymore. And Shonda Rhimes has, have, has a track record of... Yes. Keeping quiet, xing you out, <laughs> and murdering you. Cross out the eyes. Yeah. Okay? Fictionally murdering you. Yes, just fictionally murdering you. Peace so out. I well, actually, not... I guess Izzy Catherine Heigl is still technically alive in the University of Grizz, which is just like what kind of agency jujitsu, you know, allowed that to happen. I know. Well, uh, I mean, at this point, would you be that surprised if she showed up in a year? N- no, but I don't think they would. Well, I don't think they would welcome her back, considering the stories that I've heard about her behavior. Now, okay. Peace to the goddess Katie. We love her forever. <laughs> you know, and any bad stories about her go right in a burn bag. But 
I'm just saying that when you read the interviews where they're like Gray's writers are like, well, you know, we were just surprised ourselves where this, the direction this story took. No, you weren't. This story did not take a direction. Yeah, it's not like they shot this yesterday and like on some GoPros up in Los Feliz and like no, but, could, psh, cut it together. But it's also not like they were writing season eleven and being like in November, like they were at the craft services eating tuna salad and they were like, <laughs> "Do you like the tuna salad?" <laughs> and then someone turned to Littlefinger was like, "What are you doing here?" And then they continued the conversation by saying, "You know." I feel like we're doing a good job here with Patrick, but what would be a really better job would be to surprise murder him. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. So he wanted off and it was and it was bumpy and so they steered into the skid and did it the best they could. There's a lot of different ways you can tack when you're gonna kill off a, a main character and if I were Meredith Grey, let's just say I don't like to identify with fictional characters overtly because I think that they're works of imagination. But you know, Meredith Grey Derek Shepard's the love of her life, and she's she he had the candles out for her that one time, right? Yeah, and uh, sure. <laughs> remember, he got the trailer. You, yeah, know, you remember what I'm talking about? He had all the candles out for her. He Literally left Kate no Walsh idea. for her. No idea what you're talking about. First and- of all, <laughs> never follow a hippie to a second location. Never leave Kate Walsh for any human woman. It's a mistake. So. It's a mistake. They're they're very important to each other, and even though I think mm. if if I read right, he was the character was considering moving to Washington for some job to yeah. DC. Okay, when a character is quote considering moving, yeah. you should definitely consider the stories. That but are I think what everybody thought was like Dempsey else. will leave the show and maybe come back at the end and like sweep her a, off a her graceful feet. exit. Yeah, exactly. Um, not this is not a graceful exit. Your yeah. boy, so he drives up a mountain. Right, he's driving along, and he's in his Porsche SUV, and a black Lambo comes like flying past him, very, very chariot of death, or like you know, death driving by, and there's a car accident with the Lamborghini and an SUV in front of him, and he winds up saving. Is he in Monte Carlo? There's a Porsche Lamborghini. Well, it's very much not suburban Seattle. I will tell you that much. It looks a lot like the hills above Griffith Park. So that's funny. And then he saves four lives up on this hill, and all the ambulances there that when they finally get there are like, man, you are the best doctor of all time. Nice job. It's almost as if you could never top this. He is not, however, the best driver of all time, because what he proceeds to do is pull a K-turn in this street, stops his whip in the middle of two lanes of blind traffic, and then starts texting, gets the TV T-bone out like a light. But my man also, like, his phone was ringing. First of all, when your phone rings in 2015, you get upset. You also, don't look he for has it. a Porsche, so he's got to have Bluetooth. You'd think he'd have Bluetooth. But he's digging in the seats, being like, this is a cool place to stop yeah. my, my, my Porsche. I think believe you've mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, DempseyDriving.com. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Wait, so maybe that's that's how Shonda did him. Well, I'm saying it's like it was a driving shade accident. that she's like, you're going to die yeah. while driving. Yeah. Um, so Good luck with your next career. He Mario gets to the hospital. He is in a coma, but somehow is able to do voiceover about what the doctor should be doing um, to his getting him a CT scan and everything. Wah, wah. And then uh, Pompeo shows up. And I got to say, I am a big Ellen Pompeo fan going back to old school. You have been writing for her since old school. That's a fact. But I have seen more dramatic commitment from actors on the remake of The Island of Dr. Moreau. Like, Val Kilmer seemed more committed to where he was yeah. in the moment. She you, is, like, you... they, they seriously looked like they just, like, she had, like, a Zan drip going into her, like, cerebral cortex. Yeah. She's just like, Derek, <laughs> you can go now. 
like just out of like I don't know if they told her the day she got there that that's yeah. what was going to happen or if they filmed a bunch of different endings to no, the scene. It, it looked like maybe they shot it in a different like Good Wife style where like yes. Archie Punjabi and and what is like in separate. In the same she's room. in like L.A. So, and Julia. Yeah. So Pompeo, the scene she thought she was filming, like someone's running lines with her, and Derek's like. You know, Mayor, I could really go for some Fritos, yeah. but maybe I don't want to bother you. And she's like, "No, you can go. Go ahead. Go get the. Fr- go get it." Yeah. And then they intercut it with her in the hospital because that was not an emotional. Well, there's exit. like a, there was no soaring snow patrol. There's song. like a fantasy scene where she goes to him and he's woken up and she's like, "Don't you scare me like that again?" And he's like, "I had to. I am the best doctor, you know." Like, and, and it just doesn't make any. It it was definitely a very strange. I have not been following recently, so I don't know if this is just late period Pompeo. Could be. <laughs> The fall of Pompeo. No, I mean, but here's, the fall of Pompeo. Here, here's what I want to say about this. Like, this goes back to what you're saying about Mad Men a little bit. Like, if a show is lucky enough to run for a long time, yeah. you run out of story. Two things. a show You run out of story, and a show is just reduced to being the machine that it is. Even the most soulful, beautifully written mach- shows are machines. Like and Mad Men is that... They're just well, they're all procedurals in a way, yeah. right? Like they they fall back on things, and and what was so brilliant about what Mad Men did last night is it fell back on the we're just going to save it again by the seat of our pants, put on the show right here, and it failed. Yeah, and so that was moving forward. It was changing in a significant way. Grey's is a a is soap operatic death engine. That's what it is. And so there are people writing pieces like this was dramatically irresponsible. This there was this beautiful love. Well, one that's not considering TV as a business, which it is. Mm-hmm. Where people want to do different things and you know want to leave, whether they do it dramatically or they do it appropriately, whatever. DempseyDriving.com. <laughs> but it's also not taking into account like. If you want a, if you want people preserved in amber forever, then you better hope your show gets canceled unexpectedly after season two. Yeah. Because then they will never get married, get divorced, cheat on each other, die. I mean, there are only so many ways for this to go. Yeah. And so I guess the hope is to do it as well as possible. And I, I'm not immune. I'm not immune. Just as I went back and read the X-Men storyline, The Twelve, <laughs> on your demand, which was really, really <laughs> underwhelming, by the way. Uh, I went back and I checked out. I mean, there are YouTube montages of everyone dying. And there's like, do you know that like... Meredith's sister went out in a plane crash. Yeah, I they, told you. I just told you, man. Lexi went saying, out with Mark. A plane fell on this woman. <laughs> I know. But because it's Grey's Anatomy, they weren't like, okay, peace out. You clearly died because an airplane fell on and you. And it's wild There's because the, the whole time McSteamy is trying to save her, and she's yeah. just like, I'm dying. And he's like, no, you're not. And she's like, no, I'm a doctor. I'm yeah. dying. He's like, let me let you know <laughs> that my heart feels like it has exploded in the fiery sun death. <laughs> Like, do you remember the beginning of Superman? What happened to Krypton? That's what's happening in my thoracic cavity right now. He's like, we're going to stitch you up. You're going to be just good as new. And he's like, we're going to have kids one day. And he's like, which part of my pelvis is rubble? Do you not understand? Don't bring a plastic surgeon into a plane crash. That's your other point. But then that was season finale, right? And then the next season, and he was like, well, that sucked. The love of my life is gone. And then the next season begins. P.S. He accidentally died, too. Yeah, I can't remember what, what got him. Oh, you know, he, they just forgot to do a like do a MRI, and it's oh, like okay. you, he had, he had a little he caught a little bit of a death bug up in the mountains, you know, just a little <laughs> bit of a, you know what I mean, like a little like the tussin tussin didn't knock it out, yeah. but a little bit of the death, little, and he died. Gout. So like my point is, if <laughs> Grace keeps much going, Jenny's got some listeria. <laughs> if Grace keeps going, which by the way it will, its ratings are terrific for yeah, a TV no show doubt. in 2015. Yeah. 
they will all die in fiery ruin, and you just better be on board for that yeah. if you're watching that show. That's that's my final comment on the matter. I don't know how we could stop that. Um, I would like to think that if in in the future, uh, listeners will be able to like, click a button and hear us then talk about the 12 for 95 minutes, but <laughs> so we'll spare them. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday. If you want to check us out on Watch the Thrones, you can subscribe to Hollywood Prospectus. And it's unique feed on iTunes. You can also subscribe to Watch the Thrones and Grail and Pop Culture feeds. We encourage you to do all those things. I will see you Wednesday. We'll be back I next can't week. Wait. Chris, I know we're going to stop the recording part of the podcast, but if you could just stay on the line with me until I fall asleep, it would just be it would be really nice. Chasing and cars. We out. Great job, Baranski. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.